It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. I'm Adam Ritz, and we're broadcasting live at the Triangle Fraternity National Convention with a live studio audience. Let's hear it! All right. Fantastic. And uh, we have with us our first guest uh, here at the Scobie Leadership School, uh, a member of Triangle Fraternity. What is your name? Nick Keller. Nick, how are you? What's your campus you're representing? Uh, UC San Diego. All right. How's life on the beach? Oh, it's phenomenal. A lot of uh, sunshine and uh, beautiful weather. No, no uh, desire to transfer to the Midwest to a school in Indiana or I Illinois. Mean, uh, I, I've have I have the idea, but then I but then I experienced the weather, and I'm like, uh, I don't think so. And then you thought otherwise. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is actually, uh, this national convention is what I call it. You call it the SCOBY Leadership School. Can you tell us real quick, what is, uh, what is going on here? What is the SCOBY Leadership School? Uh, it just makes leaders out of everyday people. Um, it teaches you how to be a leader and, and what you can do to better the people around you, uh, just through your actions, through your morale, through your character, and through your beliefs. You're doing fantastic. You're better at this than I am. That's great. And uh, I understand earlier today you had uh, a community service project here in town. Uh, what were some of the activities you had going on? Um, uh, my group personally, we had to build a ramp for um, a wheelchair disabled woman. And I know uh, other groups had to build uh, assembly parts for the ramp. I know other people had to clean a library and assemble computers. So the, the groups varied in what they did, the tasks. That is fantastic. And who, um, you know, who set those up? Who, how, how did you know when you were finished? Was this a time thing? Could you leave right at 6 p.m., or did you have to finish till the, say till the job was finished? Uh, it, it, was, it varied. I mean, we, I stayed up until the full time with me and my group just because the, group was very, or the, the project was very demanding. Um, we ended up staying until 5.30. Uh, we think we got there around like 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock. I, don't, I wasn't paying attention. I just got lost in my work, to be honest. And were, would you say that you were the hardest worker there? Oh, no. My team was amazing. <laughs> my team was amazing. I was just kind of like uh, just watching for a little bit. But then I was like, oh, I'm kind of bored. I'll get involved. So I was going to ask, which, no names, but which guy was like not pulling his weight? It ended up being you. Uh, yeah, it was, it was me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm, oh, yeah, that was me. <laughs> well, listen, on behalf of the rest of the world, we appreciate all the work you guys are doing here at Triangle Fraternity uh, for yourself with your own leadership school and for other people through the community with your community service. Let's have a round of applause for Nick and yourself. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show. I'm Adam Ritz, and we are joined now by David Thornton. I'm going to categorize this as um, a story of inspiration. And uh, I, I think there's a whole lot of levels to your story, but I'm going to categorize it as inspiration. We welcome David Thornton to the show. Hi, David. I'm excited to be on. Thanks for having me, Adam. Thank you. And um, you're a 10-year veteran of the uh, National Football League. You played with the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts linebacker. And the part of your story that just floors me is when you hear about a guy that's played 10 years in the NFL, um, you have this image in your head of a guy that just probably just strolled through college, <laughs> strolled through college football, 
with your eyes closed on uh, medium speed and still could kill anybody because you are so elite that you made it to the National Football League and played 10 years when most average careers are three years. So that's not really the case here with your college career, was it? Not at all. You know, a lot of people, when you think of a guy who's played in the National Football League for such a long time, you would assume he was probably the superstar athlete in high school, you know, um, full scholarship, superstar athlete in college, maybe a first, second round pick and play for a long time. Mm -hmm. But um, my story isn't the typical route, but I appreciate the route I had to go to um, to reach the, the, the level, I guess, of, of playing the game in a high level. I appreciate the route I had to take. So out of high school, uh, first of all, when did you start playing football? Well, I played and when I was younger, just younger, following my okay. brothers. I didn't really have a passion for football. That didn't develop until later. But um, I played sports because my older brothers played sports. And I um, just kind of just had fun with it, but never really, you know, fell in love with it until college. And uh, in high school, I was well-versed in a lot of different things. I, I loved the band. I was actually a drum major in the marching band. Hmm. I played basketball. I was a point guard on the basketball team. I was quarterback in safety in football. Didn't really like it too heavily. And I, I was a pitcher in baseball. So I did a lot of things. Yeah. You know, did nothing really extremely well, but just good enough to kind of start and, and just have a really good high school experience. So then, uh, again, I'm going to assume with the rest of America that if you played 10 years in the NFL, you had colleges screaming for you to play college football. Not How was all. your recruiting going from high school to college? Absolutely no one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was 170 pounds. And I was a pretty good athlete, but I was nothing exceptional, nothing that was screaming, recruit me, recruit me. And so I was okay with that. My heart and my passion was, was for the Tar Heels. I wanted to go to UNC, just get me on the campus. You know, I saw him on TV, and I was a Tar Heel fan, still am to this day. And um, that was a school I had set my affection on, and I wanted to be a student there. So I, I did very well academically, and I worked hard, and I applied, and I was fortunate enough to get in. So at North Carolina, the Tar Heels, and you're telling me really there wasn't one college that said, Come play, even be a drum major, nothing? No schools the, at all, zero. D3, NAIA, nothing? I, I wasn't even in a, an invited walk-on. At some schools, they invite certain players that they see they have a chance. Uh -huh. They'll invite you to walk onto the team. You know, I wasn't even that. <laughs> wow. Okay. So now you, uh, you're at North Carolina, and I, I can assume that you walked on the football team. Well, yeah, I first tried out for basketball. A lot of people don't know that. I tried out, you know, for the UNC basketball team. At that time, they had Vince Carter, Antoine <laughs> Jameson, Ed Co I, If you If you grew up and you're a Tar Heel fan, you got to at least try out for the team. And that quickly didn't work. I knew I wasn't going to play Tar Heel basketball. Yeah. That team was okay. too loaded. And then in the spring semester is when I tried football. And I went through the intense workout. And I uh, just persevered through it, and that's when I was fortunate enough to make the team as a walk-on. Okay, so then, uh, again, with that 10-year NFL uh, resume, I'm going to assume that your sophomore year at North Carolina, you earned a scholarship. No, not at all. <laughs> sophomore, year, <laughs> sophomore year, I'm just plugging away. You know, the thing about, you know, what happened, you know, my freshman year, you know, um, I really – met some people that would help that was helping me out, you know, adjust to the college lifestyle. You know, early on I was struggling, but I, I got a mentor in my life and he really helped develop me in a lot of ways. He helped me develop in my faith, helped me develop as as a college football player, you know, in the weight room, taking care of my body. And so even though I was just a walk on, not playing in the games, 
I was finding a sense of peace and fulfillment from just working hard in the weight room and practicing. So um, even though I wasn't playing, not my sophomore year, not my junior year, not even my senior year, I was just serving, serving the team, found a way to you know make a difference and just work hard and practice. So it, it was four years I was on the Carolina roster and not even playing ball. You're kidding me. Not <laughs> even playing? Not even. No scholarship. No You're scholarship. not playing a senior, a four-year walk-on. At North Carolina. At the University of North Carolina. Yes, four-year walk-on. And it, and it wasn't that I was, you know, not a good player. Or not a, you know, I, had, I had improved. I gotten bigger, faster, stronger, all those things. But just the way it's designed sometimes, typically schools give scholarship athletes the opportunities first. So I was okay with that. And like I said, you know, I fell in love with not only working out in the weight room and, and practicing hard, I fell in love with the guys on the team, the camaraderie, mm-hmm. the relationships I was building. So even though I wasn't, you know, playing on Saturdays, I still was getting fulfillment and peace just from um, the relationships and serving in the weight room and serving in the practice field. Well, David Thornton is our guest, football player from the University of North Carolina. After four years of walking on and not playing, then there was a, there was a fifth year, like a redshirt year that you could play your fifth year. That's obviously the year you played and you showed the NFL what you had. <laughs> yeah, that fifth year, we actually had a, a coaching change. You know, I like to view that season of my life where it was a pretty divine intervention going on. We had a new lead, change in leadership, and uh, he came in, and he, won, he declared that he was going to play the best 11 players, no matter who they were, on both sides of the ball. And um, for me, it was, you know, a great opportunity. His name was John Bunny, and um, I knew if he really meant that, you know, I would have a chance to really go out there and showcase what I could do. And so after spring ball, you know, he recognized, you know, my talent, and I had a, I had done what I had typically been doing for all of, all those years, mm-hmm. and uh, he gave me a scholarship for that. Yet yeah, that after the spring spring camp, and um, I got a chance to finally start my fifth year in school, and it wasn't my plan. I had planned on you know going to grad school and doing that going that route, but um, I got a chance to finally play that 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 last year, that fifth year, and I led the team in tackles. <laughs> I was all conference, all ACC, ended up becoming um, defensive MVP. And I was, you know, awarded the Student Athlete of the Year, Tar Heel Athlete of the Year at UNC. So it was a pretty amazing turnaround in such a short period of time. No, really, a short period of time. I mean, as a 17-, 18-year-old kid, nobody in America wants you to come play any sport at all for them. A few years later, you're the you're all ACC scholarship uh, defensive player of the year for the North Carolina Tar Heels. And the ACC, that's amazing. <laughs> it is. It really is. When I really reflect back on it sometimes, it wows me. Because I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know, this is a major opportunity that the Lord has blessed me with. And um, I didn't see it coming, but I'm definitely thankful that I had to go through the years of, you know, just grinding and just being patient. You know, a lot of times when I speak to student athletes, guys who are not playing as early as they want to, I always encourage them and remind them that delay is not denial. It doesn't mean that your opportunity won't come. It's just whether or not you have the patience to wait it out and continue to endure and keep working despite not having met your expectations just yet. So, uh, and that's what my story, my story, you know, is really about perseverance. You know, it's about patience. It's about um, just hard work. It's about believing in your goals. You know, it's about knowing who you are and being confident in who you are and just never giving up. You know, that's a big part of, you know, who I am now. 
That is awesome. Uh, David Thornton is our guest, linebacker, 10 years in the NFL with the Colts and the Titans. And I know it's going to be hard to narrow this question down to one answer, but maybe some of your highlights from your playing days. Let's talk football. Have some fun. What were some of your, uh, I guess, highlights from those 10 years in the league? Well, you know, just, you know, going through the draft process, you know, that was exciting for me because I, I it wasn't in my expectation. But to have an opportunity to go to the combine, you know, the Colts drafted me in the fourth round and um, to come under such a great system. Um, the leadership of Tony Dungy for four years. I tell people all the time, anything you do for four years, that's a degree. Yeah. So I got my degree from Dungy, <laughs> so <laughs> to speak. Great. So I learned a lot from just being a, a, a player under his system, um, just watching him as a player. He was a great mentor, a great leader. Um, of course, everyone knows about his faith and his character, and I can attest that it's legit. You know, it's he is who he says he is, and I, I'm just thankful that I had a chance to just to be under him for four years. And I um, go to Tennessee, and I was five years there with Coach Fisher, who's another solid leader, wonderful coach. And, you know, I had a lot of great games, um, won some awards, and all those things are wonderful. But to me, the most valuable thing I took away from my playing career, you know, is probably the relationships I built with the people along the way. You know, it wasn't the money. You know, it wasn't the big wins. You know, some people measure success by, you know, how much money did you walk away from? And, and of course, provision. You know, my no things are, are benefits that come along with it, and I'm thankful for those things. But uh, the most valuable thing for me was the fact that I had someone that I can call when I needed to. I have brothers that I can lean on to this day, even though I'm not playing, mm-hmm. that, um, that I can be, be a source for me when I need them. You know, the relationships, you know, that, you pulled away, that I pulled away from my experience is by far the most valuable thing. Tony Dungy is, uh, you, you mentioned his character, and yeah, everybody does know about that. And do you still have a chance to, uh, I guess, network with him, talk with him, go to church with him, talk about your faith with him? I mean, is, I got to think he's so busy. He's doing that, the NBC Football Night in America. His all-pro dad's charity is one of the best successful charities in America. I mean, does he still have time to, to reach out and talk to people from his past? It's unbelievable. You know, as busy as his schedule is, you know, as, as much time he spends, you know, traveling and, you know, touring and speaking and, you know, as, as much of a, you know, he's all over the map, essentially, he still takes the time to answer the phone if you call him, if he has that type of relationship with you. And that says a lot about him, you know, that he's, I mean, he's, I'm not surprised that he's that way. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone who's in his circle, anyone that he's developed that type of relationship with, you have a friend in him that you can count on for life, you know. And I, I don't talk to him all the time, but without any hesitation, I know if I reach out to him and call him, he's going to answer the phone or call me back in a short period of time, and that's wonderful. We're speaking with David Thornton, who played 10 years in the NFL uh, as a linebacker, and now uh, you still work for the NFL. In the player development, you're teaching and educating the younger players of today what you know. It is. It's a... It's the position that I'm really, really loving. It makes me excited to know that I have an opportunity to come in and serve the team and serve the, the staff and serve the guys in ways that will help, transi- help them transition into the game smoothly and successfully and prepare them to exit the game successfully. We all know that football is a very violent sport, and at some point it's going to fleet away. Mm-hmm. So um, there are a lot of things you have to do while you're playing to prepare for that time, and um, it's it's a position where I can just really, you know, embrace. You know, I lived through player engagement. I served in a lot of ways and got involved with a lot of programs. And it's really a great opportunity for me to just share my experiences from the guys and just really help them throughout the whole process. 
In your uh, Twitter or your email, I saw in one of your emails you sent me that it, it um, what, what's your, uh, some people write sincerely or best or truly yours. What does your say again? I saw it somewhere. Cause live it was, to give. Was it live to it give? It might have been live to give or to serve. Oh, yeah, no question. It yeah. says on your Twitter and yeah. on your email when you sign out, you, yeah. you write to serve. To serve. That's definitely, you know, my, my personal mission, I guess, is I live to give. And that's all about serving others. And, um, and, and everything I do, I love to give. I love to serve. When I played, I played within a rel- with a relentless effort to serve and give to the game, um, to give to the guys that needed me in the locker room, to give to the community, um, just to use the platform that I had been blessed with to give back. You know, someone did those things for me coming along, and um, I think it's just a wonderful platform, not only for myself. Everyone has a platform. You know, everyone can find a way to make a difference in someone's life. Everyone can lend a hand to help someone else, you know, whether it's your mere presence, just being there. Sometimes it's giving of your resources. You know, sometimes it's, you know, just a pat on the back and saying it's going to be okay. You know, so uh, I'm a firm believer in that. And, and that makes, to me, I find a ton of fulfillment in being able to just serve and help and give to others. Well, I feel that pat on my back. I'm glad I know you. I'm glad uh, you've been on the show. David Thornton uh, is our guest, and we want to wrap up and let our listeners how they can follow you on Twitter. What's your uh, Twitter name? <laughs> my Twitter name is DT underscore 50. DT underscore 50. At DT underscore 50, because uh, you don't look 50 years old to me. <laughs> That's my old plan, Dave. <laughs> you know, Jersey, I'm, I'm not an old man. You know, I'm just Because f- football speeds up the, the, the pace, though. Trust I'm, me. You look like you could play right now. You know, in fact, a Twitter secret, if you ever see anybody's Twitter handle and there's a number in it, that's they're probably a professional athlete or a former athlete because that was their number when they played. Absolutely. Typically, guys like the signature their name with this with the number behind it, especially on things like uh, like Twitter and those sources. All right. Thank you so much, David. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you for having me on, Adam. Adam Ritz is a media personality and keynote speaker, interviewing amazing people from coast to coast. Follow him on Twitter at Adam Ritz or listen to him now on The Adam Ritz Show. We're in Fort Collins, Colorado at Colorado State University with Lowell Whiteman. Hey, Lowell. How you doing? Good to see you. I'm doing great. and I want to thank you for your time and thank you for joining us. Um, Your role with the athletic department here, the CSU Rams, you are sports psychology and and what else? How, How do you describe what you do? Well, we couch it as more of mental conditioning than sports psychology because we actually take a coaching role. We're working with the individual athletes on those kinds of mental conditions that help them be the best they can be and try to reinforce those in any way we can. Now, recently, uh, from the national news perspective, the wildfires um, south of Denver, the uh, destruction and devastation, what kind of uh, things were in place with student-athletes here at Colorado State as far as community service? Were there some things happening uh, that the student-athletes helped with? Absolutely. There was, because the school is an agri-centered school, there was a lot of animals that were displaced because of the fires. So they came here to Fort Collins and, and Colorado State because we have barns and facilities to take care of those animals. Everything from the little kitty cats all the way up to the big horses and cows and llamas and pigs and whatever they might have. No kidding. Yeah, and many of our athletes, especially in the football team, are agri-centered families. And they've, they've lived throughout the mountain states and they're familiar with those kinds of situations. So they got right into that. Helped with the large animal hospital uh, near Loveland, as well as the small animal facility right here on campus, and did a great job, you know, watering and feeding and muck and stalls, um, and were received with a lot of appreciation by the families and the professionals that support that effort. I got to believe that uh, the student athletes 
really enjoy pitching in with stuff like that too. Yeah, especially when they're asked. You know, a lot of times we forget to ask. And when we asked the kids, they stepped up in a big way and without hesitation. And in some cases, it wasn't necessarily with those kind of support services with the animals. They actually went over and did registration for those people that are displaced because of the fire. And they, so they answered questions. They showed people around campus where to get support and service from the Red Cross. They filled a lot of different roles. And then donations started coming in for the firefighters. We helped collect you know, bandages and water bottles and chapstick and deodorant and things that firefighters would need to uh, keep them feeling good about themselves before they went back out and fought the fires. We, we did a great job. The kids did a great job. Now, the fires are out, but I would assume that they are still accepting donations, and there's a long road ahead for everybody, so we would encourage you to Google uh, the Red Cross of Denver, Red Cross of Colorado. Do you know of any other organizations? The Red Cross is the best one, especially if you're interested in making sure that the donations and your contributions get to the families that need it. Uh, the Red Cross has been doing a great job here in Colorado uh, across the state. They're regionalized, so the one that you want to use uh, most often is the Mountain High Division for the Red Cross. They're centered in Denver. Lowell Whiteman is our guest. Uh, I want to thank you for your time. And before we let you go, this is probably one of the most beautiful spots in all of America. Oh, that's great. Uh, what is your favorite part about uh, living in and around the Denver area, Fort Collins, Colorado State University? What is your favorite part about living in this part of the country? Oh, Adam, it's the vistas. As you well know, by being here just a few days, the vistas are amazing to the point where you have to be careful when you're driving that you're not watching the vistas. Uh, it's like a vacation every day. It's wonderful to live here. I've almost crashed my rental car <laughs> because I've been looking at the mountains. Hey, the vistas are the premier thing for me. You can get detailed about it and the hiking and the biking and all the things you do. It uh, raises your health, raises your awareness, but the vistas are the pinnacle for me. Hi, this is Joe Perry. And Steven Tyler of Aerosmith for Red. You know, it's okay to rock and roll and party down. Just don't get in that 2,000-pound bullet when you're done and cocked. And please don't drink and drive. Someone that jaded you. A reminder that friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service message brought to you by the Ad Council, U.S. Department of Transportation, National Association of Broadcasters, and RAD. Social Awareness Radio, The Adam Ritz Show. Dominic Russo is our next guest. Hi, Dominic. How are you? I'm doing great. Outstanding. Can I call you Dom? Dom is fine, sure. Or, you know, Dominic just said, that's such a cool name. Dominic <laughs> Russo, that's a celebrity name. Yeah, it's a little, little Irish, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Dom, uh, I'm really proud of, of the work you've done as founder and current executive director, or president, rather. President. Of, um, of, I don't even know the actual title of your organization, but it's so cool. Tell us what, what it is. Well, it's the United States Power Soccer Association. It's the governing body for power soccer throughout the United States. It's a sport designed specifically for power wheelchair users to be able to enjoy the sport of, of soccer. Uh, it's played on a uh, regulation basketball court. It's a four-on-four -four game, and it's not an everyone-wins sport. It's a very competitive game. Power soccer. How amazingly cool. And you founded this on your own? Well, actually, uh, the, the sport's been played uh, throughout the United States for about 30 years. Um, and in uh, 2006, we founded the organization nationally, and uh, the governing body became in existence, and it became a 501c3. So... Okay, and what is, uh, I guess, the basis or framework for your passion for this? Well, we have uh, two children with um, spinal muscular atrophy. It's a form of muscular dystrophy. Um, and so uh, we are constantly looking for something to keep them stimulated and entertained and, uh, and to show them some of the things that sports can bring into their lives and, and uh, teach them uh, life skills that you can only learn through a team sport. And uh, this uh, came along, and 
my son uh, was able to uh, experience it at a muscular dystrophy camp and brought it home to us and brought a book of rules home and said, yeah, we have to try this. And I was a little hesitant, you know, in the beginning. Uh, because I thought it was another overly adaptive sport where um, it's kind of uh, everyone wins and it's not very stimulating for them. We've tried many, and, and they're great for some, but they weren't for my kids. And so um, we finally decided to try it, and uh, that was in 2003, and uh, we've been uh, focused on it ever since. So this is not connected at all to the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Um, many groups and organizations that um, I guess can't participate in, in, a, in a normal soccer game can take advantage of, of your power soccer. Exactly. It's for all people with all kinds of disabilities, whether it's quadriplegia, muscular dystrophy, cerebral palsy, um, and uh, many others that I just, you know, I'm drawing a blank on off the top of my head. But if, do, you're, do, in a, if, you're, if you're in a power wheelchair, we want you to play. So does the MDA and those organizations, is there any affiliation with, with your group? Well, uh, it's been slow progress, but they've actually invited us to uh, participate in uh, camp activities. So the um, problem is, is they usually happen in a four-week period of time all over the country, and uh, okay. we're not that big yet to be able to do that. But we try and do as many of those camps as we can to show the young kids, uh, because uh, actually the strength of our sport is through our youth. And so uh, we try and get as many young kids involved and um, so that the future of the sport. But we do have... Um, actually a veteran that's 75 that plays in Orlando, and he loves the sport. So it's uh, any age, any gender, and everybody plays together because uh, the, the power of the joystick is the great equalizer. Okay. <laughs> Dominic Russo is our guest. He's the, you're the Roger Goodell of power soccer. You're the, uh, I guess, founding, uh, founding father, current president, um, and exiting president. So how, how, is this a hands-on, uh, I guess, changing of the guard for you to work with the next president to make sure power soccer proceeds and progresses throughout the country? Exactly. There's a, a board of seven people that um, govern the body of it. and there's, um, So there's a number of people that are there. We didn't change the whole uh, board over. So, uh, But we'll be watching closely. I work hand-in-hand hand with the new president, um, and he's uh, out of a program in Minnesota. Um, and he, he's got a great power soccer program up there as well. Power Soccer, the national organization, what's the website? We can check it out. It's uh, powersoccerusa.net. And uh, I check it out. There's a video on there, a little marketing. Uh, we appreciate any support we can. It's a 100% volunteer organization, and it's a 501c3, so any dollars that are donated, we're tax deductible. So the funding that you receive and uh, our listeners that donate through that website, um, that all that money funds Power Soccer. And I, from my small brain, I'm thinking you need equipment, the actual powered wheelchairs, what else? Actually, we don't provide equipment. Um, actually, what we do is we use that money to actually go out and reach out. It's, it's outreach is what we, we're responsible for, is growing the sport throughout the United States. We currently have 60 teams throughout the country that are competing regularly, wow. and so our next goal would be 100. And uh, there's many states that uh, just haven't had the opportunity for us to get out there and actually uh, exp you know, expose them to our, this great sport. It's fantastic. I love it. I can't wait to check out more online with Power Soccer. Dominic Russo, the current president, founding father of Power Soccer here in the United States. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Adam, for having us. The Adam Ritz Show, a reality show for your radio. Our guest is Bob Mangine. He is the uh, director of sports medicine and associate athletic director for the University of Cincinnati Bearcat Athletics. Hi, Bob. How are you today, Adam? I'm doing fantastic, and today's topic with our conversation is going to be about community service, and you were just bragging to me about all the community service that your student-athletes uh, do and perform. Tell us about the uh, community service from the Bearcat perspective. Well, I think from the Bearcat perspective, it's critical uh, for you to teach your kids to give back. 
I think kids today need to accept responsibility. And the fact is, you know, when you're a Division One college athlete, you know, the little kids come out and watch you play. And it's important that you get back into the community, give back to the kids, so the kids really can see you as a role model because you really are a role model. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's such negative publicity today in the media about, you know, professional athletes, college athletes, the negative uh, problems they get into. Part of our philosophy is to put our players in a positive position. And the best positive position is to have the kids go into the community or bring the kids out uh, to us uh, and, and have that interaction because then our players feel that responsibility to, hey, there's actually this little kid that's watching me play. Here's a little young man who I can influence or a young girl I can influence. And I think that if we can get our young kids today who have been pampered into the mode that they have a social responsibility, then I think that's critical in their learning development. Well, I have to imagine, too, that um, one of your student-athletes, after a interaction or community service with a young person, uh, and we're talking like elementary age school kids that they work with, maybe reading or something like that. Right. I got to believe that they walk away from that really be, almost being more touched by that by that kid than the kid was by the student athlete. Well, when Antron Archer, who's our director of player personnel, has a community service, and, and one of the big ones is reading to the kids. Our players really, you never have to worry about having enough players. He has too many players. Everybody wants to volunteer because, as you said, when you go into there and you, you see those eyes light up and, and the kids' expressions, a smile, uh, you get that positive feedback. The kids like that, and the kids want to go back for more. It's almost uh, contagious, I, and I think that, that it, it gives them that opportunity to interact with somebody and be in a role model mode. Because it wasn't too long ago when they were that little kid yeah. looking up to somebody, whether it be college or, or pro, uh, to serve that role. So I, I think our kids really feel good about that. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.